Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name is Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Well, I was doing great until now. <laughs> well, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, we were having a nice conversation about vinyl records and turntables and, you know, cool stuff. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about even cooler stuff. Uh, that's right. We're talking about D and D2, the brain children of Kenji Eno. <laughs> Maybe arguably the weirdest Japanese auteur. Like before we had, you know, Suda51 and, uh, you know, guys like Swery. We had Kenji Eno. Mm-hmm. And Kenji Eno is somehow weirder than all of them. Sort of. In his yeah. own way. In his own weird mm-hmm. way. Um, but yeah, so we're talking about D we're talking about D two. We're going to get into it. Uh, yeah. and before we do a couple reminders, as always, this episode of zero brightness is brought to you by you. You can go to patreoncom slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show. And zero brightness is most of the time a game club. And we tell you what we're going <laughs> to play next. Usually, <laughs> Uh, so you can play the games along with us if you so choose. You can jump in our Discord and talk to us, talk to your fellow game players. <laughs> it's a good Don't time. say it. So, okay. Kenji Eno. I want to talk about this guy. Do you know much about this guy, James? Uh, I know a little bit. Okay. So Kenji Eno is kind of like a mythical figure. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look up stories about him on the internet, they're all just, like, weird, wacky, a lot of them unsighted, <laughs> but then even more of them are, like, cited from interviews where he just says some weird aside that's like, what the fuck? Uh, or he'll, like, contradict himself. I don't know. He was a really weird and funny guy. Um, the thing that I love about him is that, first of all, he was, like, a keyboard player, and he just, like, shreds the keyboard. Uh, and so and even if you look him up on wikipedia his first thing is like he's a musician and game designer uh the other thing is that he loves quitting jobs so like he he gave like this one interview he's talking about all his early jobs like yeah i'd go work there for a day and then get mad and quit or like shit like that (laughs) and he actually quit video games twice Mm, uh nice and would keep staging these like crazy comebacks but uh he quit once before (laughs) d and again after d2 uh he also famously pulled d2 from sony platforms and over to sega well he pulled enemy zero over to the sega saturn and then developed Mm -hmm. d2 for the dreamcast because like sony pissed him off with the like the way they handled the production of the discs for D. Um, yeah, and then after D2, he just was mad at everybody. He quit video games uh, and then just went and did other stuff. Because he's like, he's a polymath, right? What you might call like mm-hmm. a jack of all trades. Like mm-hmm. he knows how to do everything. So he just goes and does other shit in this industry or in other industries or whatever. Uh, super fascinating dude. But... Yeah, he kind of was just like this weird figure who would go and get someone to give him money to make some crazy shit, make the crazy shit, get mad that it wasn't a bigger hit, and then like quit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's awesome. And so D and D two, you know, developed by his company Warp Games, which later went through a couple of name changes, but which mm-hmm. he did technically run, you know, from the nineties up until he died. 
Uh, and D and D two are his most popular games that he made. Uh, they're part of a trilogy. Uh, and once again, this is one of his wacky ideas was to make this trilogy of games, which was D enemy zero and D two, uh, mm-hmm. that all had the same quote unquote lead actress, digital actress. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so it's this digital actress named Laura who's in all these games. And his idea was that it was actually going to become like the norm in the industry to have these digital actors. You could then like almost like lease the rights to, to other game creators to use. <laughs> I mean, this guy was, was just always trying these weird schemes and shit like that. Um, I can't wait to see Leon Kennedy in the Witcher four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Gerald as played by Leon. <laughs> perfect perfect uh but yeah you know the other side to that coin is that for as forward thinking and weird and experimental as kenji Eno was uh a lot of his games feel like experiments and mm-hmm. they don't really hold up today when you return to them that translates to they all kind of suck Yes, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm being generous because like okay, we talked a little bit about this in the I think it was the Delhi Premonition episode, some episode we did. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how like there's a certain kind of like old school Japanese auteur, right? And like there seems to be certain things that they all gravitate towards. Oh, we were talking about Blackbird. Um, we were mm-hmm. talking about like, you know, the director of rule of Rose and lack of love and a bunch of, and tulip, like a bunch of other weird experimental games also made blackbird the same way that, you know, sweary who made, uh, you know, Delhi premonition and extermination, a bunch of other games also made kind of like a weird side scrolling game in the missing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in the same way that like Suda 51 makes these 3d action adventure games and they makes these more like old school kind of games. Uh, mm. they all seem to love like 3d action adventure games. They love, uh, old school video games as well. They also love eighties movies and like cheesy movies and TV shows and stuff. And I feel like Kenji Eno was almost like the original game director of this type. And I feel like he must've had an influence on all these guys, you know, it, it also seemed like his early career was based around doing kind of, not even genre pushing things, but like media pushing things. Like uh, Warp worked a lot with like the 3DO company, mm-hmm. and 3DO tried to do things that were like not just gaming. You know, like it, it was the 90s, so multimedia was like a big thing, right? Yeah. So it really seemed like on a lot of his early games, like D and like Real Sound, Cause No Regret, those games they're like really trying to like push what a game is. And some of them, like Real Sound, is like barely a game at all. Yeah, Real Sound was basically like an audio drama that the player could make choices in. And it was mm-hmm. initially developed for the blind so that someone could play it without any sense of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they later got like a re-release that had some some very light visual elements on the Dreamcast. Like still images, yeah. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's like everything he makes has that feel of trying to push boundaries in gaming, kind of redefine what a game is. And D and D two both do that. It's just, once again, the question of 
is returning to it actually fun? Yeah. Well, you know, with with a lot of these early like horror games, it's really hit or miss if they're like fun to go back to. And you know, I I would say that D is one of the most playable full motion video games. But that's not saying a lot because most of those games are like completely unplayable now, you know? Yes. Well, okay, let's talk about D. D is a weird game. Mm-hmm. So um, D is basically an interactive FMV movie. Uh, yes. And the way it's presented is strange because you basically get like a little bit of motion and then it stops at a still. And then you're basically just meant to press like directional arrows to like mm. choose where to go and look at things. Well, it, it, it's a lot like Mist, yeah, or Mansion of Hidden Souls, where it's like node-based gameplay. It's in first person, and you walk between nodes. And when you get to a node, you could turn, you know, like ninety degrees and look around. Uh, but there's no like free range of movement or anything. Yeah, well, and it also feels super primitive because it's like fully cg right yeah. which i think n- nobody had really done yet i'm hesitant to say that because then someone's gonna be like well actually well, but it yeah it felt actually <laughs> well you know mist was like 93 and i think mansion of hidden souls was also 93 and this was 95 yeah well so it was it was way after all this stuff and it was after stuff of course like um like seventh guest but what's interesting about all those games is even Mist, which was for the most part like CG images and all that kind of stuff, uh, had some live action elements. Mm-hmm. And obviously Seventh Guest had like a lot of live action elements. Yeah. And I think that the way that those games were made, the way the environments were made and everything, it had this live action-y feel to it. And I think when people think FNV game of that era, live action is part of it, right? I think what's impressive to me about D and what maybe explains why it looks so rudimentary in a lot of ways is that it's like everything from the design to the images, everything is like CG, you know? Mm -hmm. And once again, that kind of plays into Kenji Eno's idea here that like D is not an just an FMV game or it's not something like seventh guest where you have like real actors and, and mixed in with gameplay and whatever. It's like, this is a game just like, Mario is except Mm -hmm. this is how it's designed and this is how you play it 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 feels a little more gamey in a weird way you know or it feels different it feels different from other FMV games I guess yeah and it's I mean I remember playing this in 95 or 96 and thinking like how lush and cinematic it felt and playing it now it's like almost shocking how primitive it looks yeah but like yeah, you really have to put in on your like uh, get in your like a uh, time machine and go back to like 1995 brain to try to appreciate it because the the graphics definitely didn't age well. <laughs> no, and well, even the way you move around, it just feels so clunky. It does feel really cinematic though. Um, there are even points where like it's so slow, but still, it's almost like Kubrickian, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely feels different. And and like you're saying, I mean, so I think one thing people may have forgotten about the original Mist is that there weren't 
scene transitions. It was just... You just jumped to the next note. Yep, you, you were know. just clicking through slides. Uh, and then later, you know, they added scene transitions. Later, they added a 3D, like, free roam version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the original version of Mist, you were just, like, clicking through slides. D isn't like that. They actually, you know, there are actual transitions between all the different nodes. Like, they actually animated, you know, all of that. So... Yeah, tons of cutscenes. Tons of... I mean, it is just one big cutscene, basically. Yeah, well, he wanted to make a horror interactive movie. And going along with that, there's no saving or pausing, and you have a two-hour time limit to beat the game. Right. Um, funnily, fun, funny enough, we even you know talked about this in another episode, but it was released on the same day as Clock Tower. So it had like a uh, Clock Tower versus D like PlayStation horror rivalry there. Yeah. 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 People were making uh, store displays that were like the Blur versus Oasis ones, where it was like, <laughs> which do you choose? You know, which is funny because I think I would nominate these two for like the games that have aged the worst from that era in terms of like horror games. You know, like yeah, goddamn. Yeah. But it is we like it's weird uh, when I. That was a few years ago, like when I got a GOG account, I was like looking at old games and I was like, oh, D's on here. I used to love D, mm-hmm. I think. Like I remember playing it in my friend's <laughs> basement or whatever. And then like I got it and I started playing it and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like it's jarring, you know, like there's yeah. no on-screen prompts. There's no nothing. It's just this weird, dark, dingy, kind of ugly CG cutscene that lasts 90 minutes. And the video is in like a really small kind of widescreen window yeah. on your screen. It doesn't even like fill the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it kind of like the, the game just like throws you in at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's got a very like Argento ish intro. And it's like actually pretty stylish. Um, like it feels like a movie. And it's got like a fully orchestral soundtrack and things like that. But it jumps in like. It's a pretty crazy story. It's like um, Laura, uh, she gets a call from the cops that her like dad committed mass murder, and her yeah. dad's like a pretty n- renowned doctor. So like somehow she shows up at the hospital where he committed the murder. Like they didn't stop her at the door. Yeah, she goes in and she's transported to Dracula's castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it does have a little bit of a. Uh, Echo Knight vibe. Like a little bit, the yeah. look to it and the weird disjointed plot. There's a li- mm-hmm. little bit of that. It's almost like if you just took everything out of Echo Knight. <laughs> well, it's like if you took like one Okay, so this game is super short. Yeah. And it's got what, like six puzzles in it? Yeah. It's it's really like a little like tidbit snack appetizer of a game. There's not much to it at all. And um, so, yeah, it really feels like a section of a game. Like, if Resident Evil 1, like, ended at the first part of the Spencer Mansion, that would be, like, how D feels to me. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like I was saying, it is on, like, GOG. And if you want a copy, you can usually get one for, like, between zero and two dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, like, time time has sort of rated D as, like, a game that is kind of barely a game. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like a horrible experience no, or anything. No, and it was actually fun try, um, revisiting it because you know it's slow, it's clunky, it's ugly, 
the 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 voice acting is just laughable. Yeah. Like when he's calling his daughter, like Laura, like they say Laura so much. It, it must be like 75% of the script. Yeah. It's it just, just her name being repeated. Yeah. Press X to Laura. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll walk a couple steps. You'll see like a vision of your ghost dad and do some things and walk a couple more steps and solve a puzzle. And it's, it's very simple, and 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 the the puzzle complexity never gets any higher than something like Resident Evil, like yeah. grab a thing and use the thing, or figure out a constellation or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess the like the one thing that needs to be said is that like you're being very forgiving to this game right now in the way that you're describing it, like the fact that you use the term Kubrickian, like. Uh, I kind of just had to sit back and let you get that one off because, like, mm. I think most people returning to this game and playing it will literally just be like, "What the shit is this?" Anyone born after two thousand won't know what to do with this game. Well, and even more than a when you, what age are you thing, I think it's really like, do you appreciate this era of games mm. in a way where you can return to something like this and, like you said, kind of put on your rose-colored glasses and be like this was the summer of 1995 and this is yeah. what you're playing in your friend's basement you know for but, me it's like i i get that aspect of it but like yeah it's like kind of barely even a game it's it's so easy to forgive because it's over so fast yeah you'll finish it in an hour in or an hour and a half or you'll just give up at the crank puzzle and never play it again yeah well, and it's, yeah, that that's real. But <laughs> it's interesting because, yeah, like, the sequel in, in D2 is, like, the opposite. Like, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Mm. But you can also kind of see how the two are connected in terms of, like, what is the role of, like, a cinematic, you know, cutscene in a video game. Sure. <laughs> I think that D, D, the original D, kind of makes the argument that, like, a game can be a cutscene, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think that D2 kind of takes a different approach to that same sort of idea, but it is, it is interesting to go back and play this or, or really any FMV game to see how I think that idea has aged really poorly. Mm. And even like, you know, I've, I've said on the show before, like I think game designers and directors who love to just load their games up with cutscenes and make it so most of the game is a cutscene their stuff feels dated regardless of how like shiny and new it is yeah like i'm always gonna give kojima shit for that because it's like he can put out like the shiniest newest game but if he really expects people to sit down and watch like an hour and a half cutscene, it's like i mean arguable if it's still a game you know well these people want to make games but they end up just making shitty movies you know? <laughs> just make your shitty movie yeah well, and I guess there is a charm to that, too. I mean, like I was saying, I think that there's this kind of generation of these Japanese auteurs who came from the 80s and 90s mm. who they really loved media. And yeah. so they were making yeah. games, but they wanted to show the player that like they love books and they love movies and they love music and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And so I, I kind of get that idea, you know, of like, we're going to show you uh, what we appreciate about all these different types of media, even if it kind of takes away from something being a good game, you know? Yeah. And 
I wouldn't, like, recommend playing D, but I don't know. It, it's just kind of like a fun little time capsule. And it, I, I think it's a lot more fun to play than a lot of other FMV games, like Sewer Shark and Ground Zero Texas and stuff like that. D is, like, head and shoulders above all that. Well, D is interesting. That's the thing that all those other games lack. Like, mm. D has a cool aesthetic. It's You're interested and engaged in it. Like, you know, you're just like, oh, what is this? This is kind of weird and creepy. I mean, most FMV games you don't. Yeah, like Sewer Shark. You're not like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I love this green everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird looking back at, like, the critical reception of this game from back then. Because, like, people took it really seriously and said it was frightening. GamePro called it a frightening work of art, which I thought was hilarious. And it, it yeah, it was a huge hit in Japan, sold over a million copies. Um, one of the best-selling games on the 3DO in Japan. I think it was in like the top three. So, so yeah, it was like kind of a big deal. Like it was a little bit of a cultural flash in the pan. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I think the localization kind of like ruined a lot of that seriousness. Just because the voice acting is just so amateurish in the American version. Yeah, totally. It's bad. But, you know, I think once again for an English-speaking player, it just grounds it in that 1995-ness. Like, I think if you came to it with that mind and you're like, oh, I want to experience this game in that way, then it kind of almost enhances it. But, yeah, it is stupid as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did read this funny anecdote about uh, he was worried about the sensationalist kind of stuff in the game, like the cannibalism. So uh, he had a censored version and he like purposefully submitted it really late, which meant that he had to get on a plane and fly from Japan to the U.S. And in transit, he swapped the discs out for the uncensored version. So, yeah. the, uh, so he knew the uncensored version would go to press. Yeah, I love that. I that was pretty funny. That's like so fucked up, but also like so funny. <laughs> and the game is so tame. Like, oh my God. Yeah. What were they worried about? It was a different time. That's yeah. what they were worried about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of. So like we were saying, Warp Games, Kenji Eno goes through a whole bunch of stuff after D, right? Like he gets pissed with Sony. He goes over to Sega. They make Enemy Zero. And then with the Dreamcast... Well, initially they started uh, developing this for another kind of like boundary-pushing console, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the successor to the 3DO, the Panasonic M2. Right. And apparently the game got pretty close to being done, but the M2 got canceled and Kenji Inno got mad and canned everything and decided to start over. Right. And so it ended up on the Sega Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Of course, the greatest console of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say that to see what you'd do. Questionable. Uh, I, I do love the Dreamcast, but it's, uh, you know, it's got its issues. It's no Sega Master System. Uh, I disagree with that. I like it better than the Master System, but... The f- get off my lawn. <laughs> uh so yeah d2 you know developed for the dreamcast it was released in japan in 99 in america in 2000 uh i actually played it when it came out 
I was like super hype for D2. Really? Uh, yeah, because I had played <laughs> D when I was like a little kid. And then like, I mean, I was still like a little ass kid in 2000. But like, mm. uh, you know, I would have been like 13, 12, 13, you know. Uh, and so like I saw the previews and it looked fucking crazy. And I was like, hell yeah, dude, let's get this D2. What's up? It's like that snow level in every game that I don't like. <laughs> it's the whole game. Yeah, so D2 is crazy. Uh, I feel like D2 is sort of like the original Deadly Premonition uh, in a Oof. lot of ways. Uh, I mean, I guess. It, it It is when you think about it. It's just not as good. Uh, <laughs> it is kind of like a stitched together Frankenstein of a game. Yes, it is. Like take like ten hours of cutscenes and then Virtua Cop and then some like bad open world shit and D one. Yeah. Stitch all that together in like a turducken kind of <laughs> monstrosity, and that's D two. Yeah. D2. yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So D two basically the premise is that it was a very early pseudo open world survival slash horror game not really survival horror but like do you know what i mean shoot a rabbit and eat it survival yeah so it had these like outdoorsy survival elements it also is a horror game and it has survival horror elements but it's crazy because similar to deadly premonition uh each section of the game feels like a different game that they just slammed together so it's just like here is game enjoy game and it's like oh okay (laughs) thanks uh but the other thing reminds me of deadly premonition a lot is that uh d2 heavily influenced from the story and the aesthetic and everything by 90s television and 80s horror movies Mm -hmm. so like the premise of d2 is essentially john carpenter's the thing multiplied by x-files oh okay and divided by weird japanese like anime stuff (laughs) (laughs) and maybe a little bit of that stephen king part of creep show oh totally with the meteor shit yeah but don't don't you feel like that's accurate yeah i you know yes but (laughs) it's all horrible (laughs) you just like you just name dropped a bunch of cool shit (laughs) this is not cool shit well, yeah, but like, I guess, like, if I'm trying to give, if I'm trying to give D2 the Benny of the D here, and I'm trying to like understand what the purpose of its existence is, you know what I mean? Because once again, mm. it's from it's from 1999. We know that it had a scrapped development, so it probably started closer to the mid 90s, right? Like, we're trying to get into the the framework here. It is a lot like. In that way, it's a lot like Deadly Premonition, and then also in what it's trying to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. they were trying to make this game that was super cinematic, obviously, because it's a sequel to D. So, similar to D, I mean, you will end up just sitting there watching cutscenes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you will do a bunch of gameplay, but you'll do just as much watching of cutscenes. I thought it was funny that I had to insert disc four for the opening cutscene. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like 
fucking way too long. It's at least like 12 minutes or something like that. And it's got a classic pre 9-11 plane hijacking scene. You don't get those anymore. Yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely went out the window uh, after that. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. I mean, what do we want to talk about first here? Do you want to talk about like what you actually do in the game? Do we want to talk about the story? I mean, it's such a mess. Like, I kind of don't even know like where to be. Yeah, well, I don't think we can talk a lot about the story because it's just a fucking mess. Yeah. Like, apparently there's a cult that shot the plane down or whatever. Or no, like some natural phenomenon made the plane crash. I don't know. It's a mess. I hate it. Well, okay. So there, there's like a cult in the Alaska. I don't know. You you say it. Okay. So here's my it. here's my read on the plot. <laughs> okay. Here's my read on the plot of D2. Uh, basically, the game opens with a, an airplane being hijacked that is seemingly done by these weird cultists who are like some evil some kind of lovecraftian evil is gonna take over the world and we're sacrificing this plane to that right it's vague so then the plane crashes and it turns into this story about these survivors who are in this you know snowy wasteland uh they kind of find like a home base and they set up there and they're just trying to survive however It turns out that there is some kind of Lovecraftian evil, except it works (laughs) just like the kind of alien body snatcher thing in John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're trying to survive. They're trying to see who they can trust, who they don't trust. As the game goes on, shit gets crazier and crazier and crazier. There's all these bosses that are super weird and tasteless. Like every boss has like a dick or a weird vagina. Like, yeah every boss it's just so fucking weird and bizarre uh there's a lot of phallic imagery mm-hmm. and essentially what it comes down to and this is name dropped early in the game but then they just keep talking about it is that like the meteor that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs is actually like some sort of evil alien force that's like coming back to cause the extinction of humans yeah you remember all that dracula shit from the first game Forget all that. Yeah. Dracula's not here anymore. Now we're aliens. But it's like Lovecraft aliens. It's like and the, it also sucks. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But uh, it, it, they try to make it a character drama. Yeah. So like you know, Laura has another friend, and her friend is like a hippie poet singer. Uh-huh. And she like gives you her mixtape and shit. Yeah. And oh man, her her poetry is so bad. And they try to be like really deep and tr- they try so hard to make you care about your characters. But then like Laura, they 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 link her. They make her a mute. And so you have this silent protagonist that's only expressive with her like creepy like 1999 like low poly face. Yeah. <laughs> There's, it, it's such a mess, you know? Well, and that's the thing. Okay, so if we go back to Deadly Premonition for a moment. Like, Deadly Premonition worked 
because it knew it was ridiculous. Yeah. Like we can debate back and forth all day about how much of it was purposeful, how much of it is just gaming bad, but you know that they knew it was ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And so most of the game is geared towards being ridiculous and over the top and colorful. D2 isn't. <laughs> D2 is like they really thought they were writing an entire arc of the X-Files, yeah. mm-hmm. except like more serious. So the game is dead serious i mean there's flashbacks there's side stories there's mm-hmm. everything like everything is gravely pronounced you know like <laughs> it's serious yeah it's like she'll have a flashback to like the extinction of the dinosaurs or like the fall of the roman empire and you're seeing like live action kind of like stock footage stock footage is so bizarre and it just has no self-awareness and it just comes off as so bonkers and weird and it would be more entertaining if the gameplay around that wasn't so shitty well i think the game try well we'll get to that in a second because you're right you're 100 <laughs> right but i one thing i do want to say is that i think that it trying to be so serious is why it doesn't really work Mm-hmm. Uh, because it has no self-awareness and it has mm-hmm. no it doesn't give the story any allowance for how ridiculous and stupid the game is because <laughs> like like once again i mean just google these bosses like they're so mm-hmm. ridiculous and they're so stupid or like watch some of these cutscenes. like it's super ridiculous but it's not funny because it's like meant to be really serious and it it's just like it's it's kind of dry comes off as really dry a lot of the time like despite how insane everything happening on screen is you know mm-hmm. well it's it's almost like tim and eric like that scene in deadly premonition where her tongue is cut out and she's still trying to like give her little talk yeah it's like that tier while you're fighting the boss yeah like, there's one that's like playing violin incessantly while like floating around and hitting you with tentacles and yeah. there's another one where it's like a naked woman, like, I'm your friend. Why are you shooting me? While you're like pumping like Uzi rounds, like <laughs> clip after clip of Uzi rounds into her. Yeah. But like, here's the thing. Like, couldn't you see Deadly Premonition while playing this game, though? Like all of this shit. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, like it is kind of like the test run for that. But it's like. Yeah, I mean, once again, <laughs> to go back to sort of the sub-theme of this episode, do you want to play the alpha build of Deadly Premonition? The answer is no, because we just did it with the sequel, and no, you don't want to play that. It, it, it has none of the charm or humor or any of that. Yeah. This, I, I found this to be like an ultimately like charmless game. The thing I will say, well, having played it at the time, it did leave an impression on 12-year-old me because I was like, wow, <laughs> so deep, <laughs> you know? But, like, <laughs> I will say one thing I'll give it is that another thing it predicted was these Japanese game auteurs kind of wanting to be Hideako Anno because, uh, like, all mm. the live-action stuff in this game and especially the ending crawl of this game really feels like End of Evangelion in a weird way. Uh, <laughs> and Kojima would just straight rip that for Metal Gear Solid 2. And yeah. I feel like it works better in this game because the whole tone of the game is geared towards that. So, like, sure. if if for some reason these, like, weird stock footage stuff really gets you, like, you will kind of like the story. <laughs> like, because it's just, like, this little survival story... 
that they keep trying to relate to like the death of all humanity and maybe the universe like mm-hmm. it's so weird and it makes <laughs> no sense but it, you could see if you've watched end of evangelion you kind of get what he's trying to do and like yeah I sure. ca- you know it's like i don't know i once again i feel like he's always just like a little too early ken giano is <laughs> you know like yeah i guess yeah but i like you like you were saying before i kind of jumped into that whole spiel like this game would maybe be like an offbeat classic or more tolerable or something if the gameplay wasn't just like total garbage bin (laughs) well okay let me talk about something i actually like because this game still does have the node-based gameplay of the first when you're inside buildings and you're kind of like looking around for items and investigating. Unfortunately, there's not like a lot of puzzle solving really. And I feel like, you know, for all the fucking time I put into this game, I probably put over 10 hours into it for this review, maybe like 15 that like, I feel like the first person node based kind of exploration gameplay was like less than two hours of that. And that's such a shame because it feels tight and snappy it's not sluggish like the first game. Yeah. Uh, it looks really good. Like the textures are all nice and like, you know, you start in a cabin and it, li- it feels lived in, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then the, the other gameplay elements just fall flat because once you leave that cabin, you're kind of in a third person open world thing that just doesn't work at all for me. Well, now, before we get into that, does this remind you of anything? Does this sound like anything that we've played recently? <laughs> like, it's Deadly Premonition 2. Like, it's so weird. I feel like... Oh, the, like the world traversal just being bad? Well, the mix of those sort of, like, node-based uh, point-and-click sections and mm. open-world gameplay sections with the node-based being way better than the Garbo open-world sections. Like, it's literally... <laughs> it's playing this game you know after playing deadly premonition 2 which i you didn't but i did like is nuts because i was like holy shit once again this game is ahead of its time like they were on to something but like deadly premonition 2 it's just not done well and ultimately it just doesn't really work Um, yeah this game it wastes a lot of your time because the the environment is like really inhospitable so what you end up doing is you'll go outside and then like run to another cabin and then get something and then go back home and then watch a cut scene and then go out again maybe shoot a rabbit go a little farther do something else and then come back um so like these little expeditions going back and forth like it just takes so much time to actually do anything in this game and it it actually gets worse and worse the longer you play because it just like really doesn't respect your time at all. Yeah. So the way this game is structured in a gameplay sense is that you basically have a few different modes. You know, you have like we we're saying an indoor mode where it's just like a moving from node to node, inspecting stuff, getting little mm-hmm. bits of text and dialogue. Uh, then there's like an open world mode where you can go between different locations on the map and in the open world mode you can either be in combat which is where you're fighting monsters rpg uh, style random battles yes so it's like you're running and you enter into 
uh, battle mode, but it is just like first person shooting basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very, very bad. It's very bad. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like moving a curse. It's like playing a light gun game without a light gun, which yes. is just like shitty. It's really bad, yeah. And then the other thing you can do is you can hunt, which you need to do to get meat, and which is also very slow and cumbersome and shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the problem with this game in a design sense isn't that it has these elements, is that the game at its core is still just a hyper-linear survival horror game. Mm. Like, it's not that you can run around and trigger different things or do side quests or change the flow of the story. You can't. And that's why the game is so frustrating because you spend so much time running back and forth and running around these environments and the traversal takes forever, but you don't have any reason to. Well, and there's a cutscene for everything too. You'll like pick up a cup and there's like a 30 second cutscene for that. Yeah. It's so over the top. So it's kind of like how, you know, we've talked about other games that have this problem as well, but they wanted to take the original design of D where it's just a cutscene right <laughs> and they wanted to just plunk things in the middle of it and unf- which is not a good idea anyway but unfortunately for this game it ends up being a really bad idea because the things they plunk into it are these long boring frustrating gameplay sections mm. um, e- nothing in this game in terms of the open world stuff and the combat stuff like feels good to do no it's not kinda, at all it's kind of shocking honestly I mean, it, it's it's better when you get the snowmobile because you can just traverse faster. Yeah. But you're still going to be hit, hitting the same random battles over and over again. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think the question with this game that I keep coming back to and the real push and pull of this game is like, it is just a linear survival horror game. So it would have been better if it had just all been set like in one base, you know, like mm-hmm. the thing or something, right? Like it's yeah. all in one location and the tra- there isn't really traversal. You're just going around that location. But at the same time, in 1999, it was a big deal that the game had an overworld and that you could run around and do all stuff. Like, the game felt huge. It's such a pain in the ass, though. Like, oh, yeah. Everything takes so long. There's, there's a stretch towards the end where you have to keep going back and forth between these cabins and your base. And it, it's, like, scientifically formulated to, like, waste as much time as possible. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and, like, yeah, it's that's the thing, though, is that I think that with, this game is a lot more frustrating than D is, once again, because it's over ten times as long. <laughs> or it basically is about ten times as long as, uh, yeah. as uh, D. But I also think that for someone returning to it in the same way that you can look at D and say, Oh, it's like boring and ugly and stupid. Or you can put on your, your 1995 glasses and be like, wow, (laughs) this is kind of amazing. I think this game is the same thing, but for like 1999 and 2000. Mm. Well, I mean, Grand Theft Auto three was 2001. Grand Theft Auto three changed the world. It's like 2001 is like that turning point. Right. And this is just like right before that. Well, yeah, but you can see like open world and quasi open world stuff. Everything before GTA was different and Mm -hmm. people really were like grasping at straws for how to create this kind of world. I mean, this is something I'm actually personally very interested in because like I've said on the show, I'm not the biggest fan of open world games. 
I like a game that more can suggest to me a big world rather than making me spend my time traversing a big world, mm-hmm. you know, because it ends up really feeling mostly like a time waster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if we look at games bef- like before GTA 3, which GTA 3 is the one that sort of set the modern template, I mean, you see all sorts of different ideas, right? Like you have something like Chrono Trigger, for example, where it's roughly the same world but it keeps changing and evolving depending on what time period it is right and Mm -hmm. like it's a smaller game map than something like final fantasy 7 or something but because you can change it by time traveling it feels really big and wide open right sure uh or you can look at something like snatcher which you talked about before like snatcher letting you choose where you go and how you conduct the investigation in little ways that does makes it feel like you're really in a city Right. Yeah, it really did give you that illusion. Well, at least with 1995 goggles on, it yeah. really gave you that illusion that you were in a big old Neo Tokyo. Exactly. And then even with something like Super Mario 64, where mm. just putting you in this hub world where there wasn't really that much to do, but letting you have that breathing room and run around, it made the game feel like this big epic right sure so i think looking at d2 you can see that this was them being like how do you make an open world survival horror game which is an interesting question because it still hasn't really fully been answered i mean (laughs) we've talked about it on the show a little bit there are like open world survival horror games but they're very action centric to the point where they either just flip like evil within two you know they flip between being open world and being linear uh, or they're just action games, you know, like mm-hmm. something like Days Gone, like which I've been playing. That's just mostly an action game with a lot of horror stuff in it. So I don't know. D2, it asks an interesting question. It gives an interesting answer, but it's not <laughs> it's it's not fun to play. Like I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone, tell everyone to like run back right now and play D2. But it is an interesting footnote in history. And it's definitely an interesting like answer to that question you know it, it does have some fun ideas too i mean that last boss that's kind of like super meta fourth wall breaking kind of stuff yeah it's kind of interesting and you know it's got some wacky characters and some boss fights but yeah it was it hurt me to finish that game and i finished it for all of you <laughs> mostly the patrons yeah it's it is brutal like i'm not gonna say that it's not and you know it's we've talked about it on the show before that i think that survival horror is one of those genres that when you add like grinding to it it just ruins it like Mm -hmm. it totally ruins the flow of this game or like in the kuan review i was saying that the fact that i had to play the entire game twice and do some of the areas three times some of the areas that i hated the most like it sucked it kind of ruined the game for me even though i can look at that game and say it had cool parts of it it had interesting ideas um this is just like a very very extreme example of that yeah i would rather play kuon 10 times than play this again <laughs> well that's a lot of game time though kuan 10 times jesus i mean i the deadly premonition 2 is better than d2 i don't agree with that actually if we're talking about like really shitty games here yeah. see i don't agree with that because i think d2 d2 works i mean like 
<laughs> yeah, true. I didn't get to finish Deadly Premonition. Yeah. They patched it and I still can't play it. Don't fucking pop off with that bullshit while I'm in the room. That's not true. Because like <laughs> D2, you can nitpick the design. And everyone has. Like the thing about D2, I think it's, you know. Nitpick. I'm not nitpicking. This game is trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we're saying that the design. Yeah. I mean, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. The design of this game is like fucking bad. But the game works. <laughs> so that's. You and, can beat it. Yeah, it, and it does what it's set out to do. That's a big thing for me. Like when you look at a game like this, it's like this is what they set out to do. This was their design. They completed it. I think the argument then is that kind of the design is trash. <laughs> so after this game flopped because it was a piece of shit, did Kenji Ino have a hissy fit and quit or what? Yes. I think he was just <laughs> he was frustrated with games. He quit. He came back later, not long before his death, to do a few indie games, and then oh really? Uh, yeah, and then unfortunately, yeah he he died of heart problems in mm. 2013. Uh, yeah. He was 42 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, All that de stress must have got to him. He did die of hypertension. So Fuck. yeah, it's actually true. Um, were any of those indie games good? Did you try any of them? I haven't tried them. And, you know, a few years ago when I played D again, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm so fascinated by his Kenji Eno, dude. Like, I kind of want to look into it more and try his other games. And a lot of those games are not available to play now because they were, like, mm-hmm. phone games. Oh. But this would have been in, like, the two thousands and some of them were either like phone games or they were exclusive to japan on the wii Mm. um and so it was like you can't really play them now uh i'm sure yeah maybe some maybe somebody has archived them or something but um yeah they're not really out there to play it's like the only stuff his you can play are like the big ones right like you can play Mm -hmm. d well, even D2, I mean, it wasn't that easy for us to play. Dreamcast uh, emulator. Yeah. Like, we don't emulated. go out and buy a Dreamcast because of this game. You'd be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I guess, too, the original release had some problems with, like, crashing and bugs and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. So I guess, like, if you go read some of the original reviews, which I did, they said that. And I was like, oh, that would suck. That would uh, piss me off because a lot of times you can't save for a while. No, wait. Can you pause it and save it anywhere? Uh, well, you can't like do that during cutscenes. Some of the cutscenes are really long. Right. Yeah. So that's what the reviews were like. I got a crash during a really long cutscene. I was like, oh yeah, that would hurt. Brutal. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, you know, the thing about I was gonna say about D two is that. It's not really, it's, it's like Kenji Eno himself. It's like a mythical figure. Like it's this, this shadow that people talk about like, Oh, D2, mm-hmm. have you played D2? But I don't know how many people are out here saying D2 is like a classic, you know, no. it's hard to call either of these games a classic. I would say, you know, D is still more playable than D2, but it's hard to call it either of these games. Like really, um, yeah they're fascinating i think they're fascinating experience uh, experiments to me mm. but yeah y- they're notable and noteworthy but i would not call them classics yeah <laughs> <laughs> for sure they're they're frustrating games um they're they're hard to return to now uh and even it's like you know d2 
there's so much crazy shit going on with the plot of this game like yeah there's so much insane shit it's so wild uh one thing that's really funny that i found online is that somebody typed up the entire script of the game uh and so you can find the whole game script on uh game faqs and like if you're not gonna play this game or watch a youtube video of it i would honestly recommend you go at least just peek at the script and just get a sense of like how insane this game is because like there's all these interludes and flashbacks and they talk about the characters and it's like it's just so insane and you just get a feel for like how crazy this game is (laughs) yeah i would say you know watch d1 on youtube uh you can't even watch d2 on youtube because it's like eight hours long (laughs) so i don't know read the script of d2 uh you could watch it and treat it like a uh like a season of a tv show or something oh, yeah it is it's basically the last season of lost <laughs> it's kind of like the last season of x-files honestly mm. like yeah. which is not a compliment but it is like <laughs> so insane they just jump every shark they make every leap every nonsensical leap possible um it's got kind of an interesting ending uh for what it is it's really yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is probably in the bottom five games we've reviewed for the show, to be honest for me. It's it's down there with Man of Medan. It's down there. It's. I would rather play Man of Medan, maybe. I would rather play Layers of Fear 2, for sure, than this. Here's what I like more about D2 than those games, is like... D2 seems sincere in how batshit it is. Like, it's just such an insane mess that, like, there's something about that that I find more compelling than something like Man of Medan or Layers of Fear, where it's just always, like, smirking at me, like, hmm, do you see what we did there? I like how when you, like, complete the random battles, it gives you, like, that nice little break beat for, like, 10 seconds. Oh, yeah. Before the game, like, turns to garbage again. Very sick. But it gives you that little break beat, like, there's hope at the end of the song <laughs> yeah dude super sick no d2 is 0.5 stars for me <laughs> i would always personally rather play something that's bad but like sincere and just how insane of a mess it is mm. than something that kind of like thinks it's really smart for making a reference to the shining <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's okay. like nothing that we've played makes me as mad as the modern games we've played because i feel like they all have that vibe you know but what I mean? d2 takes itself so seriously and all but all the characters have tiny little hands <laughs> did you notice how tiny their hands are they have weird designs in general yeah they're frightening all the people in this game kind of look like they're designed by someone who's never seen a people before <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah uh zero and a half stars uh, D1, I don't know, one and a half, two stars. I'm going to give it two stars. Two stars. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I've kind of always liked D2 a little better than D just because it's so insane. But that's me. Well, I don't know. You've got the nostalgia for it, though. Yeah, it's all And I've totally. got the nostalgia for the first one. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can start doing your star ratings anytime you want. <laughs> Fuck a star rating. I don't do that shit. <laughs> or jalapenos. <laughs> I mean, I love like, jalapenos, but no. <laughs> It can be any metric you like. <laughs> any metric you like. Well, I'm not going to uh, do it. That, thank my you. favorite Pink Floyd synth lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I just heard it. And they probably all heard it too. Game Club. It's time to figure out what is next. What is next? Dude, fuck if I know. Um, but I do know. Next is the Count Lucanor. That's the uh, first game from the developers of Yuppie Psycho. Uh, that's a pretty fun one. Short little experience. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Then after that, we're going to talk about the Dread X Collection. That is an indie game bundle. Kind of like a game jam bundle sort of thing. That's done by Dread XP, uh, the video game wing of the Dread Central website. They seem like uh, cool folks. We're going to check that out. It's got some cool shit in there. Uh, yeah, you'll recognize some of the developers if you look it up. Look it up. Then after that, we're doing uh, Sega Genesis horror games. Uh, I don't even know like what that is, but I'm gonna partake, and I hope you will too. Kind of on the Sega thing, huh? We were gonna do a whole Dreamcast month, and then shit got too fucked up, and I was like, I don't want to do that. But we're still just on this Sega vibe, dude. Sega kids. What is it? Oh.